1992, a powerful storm called Hurricane Andrew ripped through southern Florida and flattened thousands of homes. Uh, so devastated, it looked like they'd been hit by an atomic bomb. But amongst all this destruction, there was one house that stood firm. And the reporter asked, saying, how come your house stood while all the others were destroyed and blown away? And the reporter said, well, I was told that if I built this house according to the Florida State Code, then when a hurricane came, it would withstand the force of it. And so the man went to all the trouble and all the expense of fully complying with the building code. And so when the hurricane struck, all the other houses were destroyed. This one house stood firm, holding on and anchored to its foundations. The Bible tells us that if we build our lives according to a certain code, which of course is hearing and obeying God's word, then we will stay standing in the midst of whatever storm is thrown in our direction. And people are going to say to you, how come everyone else has fallen by the wayside? As we know, thousands, tens of thousands of Christians have in our nation alone, and you remain standing. And you can say to them, hopefully, well, I built according to the code, according to the book, the Word of God. And one of the most important aspects of the code, we've already read it in Hebrews 6, chapter 1, one of the foundation doctrines of the Bible is repentance. And it's listed as first in the whole list of foundations. So if there's one foundation to lay in your Christian life, it is a foundation of repentance because storms are going to hit you. But it doesn't matter how severe the storm, how powerful, how strong, it will not take you out. It will not knock you down. You will stand strong. You will withstand the fiercest, the most ferocious uh, attack that the enemy could ever throw at you. If you've got this first essential foundation fully established in your life, the foundation of repentance. And as you listen to me, you should be sitting there saying, yep, I've got that one nailed. If you haven't, we've got a 10-week course that runs uh, regularly on a Sunday afternoon that you might want to consider doing. Before Hurricane Andrew hit Florida, no one could tell which houses had been built according to the code and which houses hadn't. (laughs) But when the storm struck, it was obvious to everyone which houses had been built according to the code. And sadly, isn't it true with Christians? When the storm strikes, some stand strong, get closer to God. Others just lose their faith, slow down, stop serving, stop going to church. Some completely walk away from God. The foundation of repentance, among others, was not properly laid in their lives. I believe if that foundation is fully established in our lives, along with a few others, you will never, ever, ever backslide away from God. You could face the future with 100% confidence. The Greek word we shared last week for repentance is metaneo, which means that you are going in one direction. God encounters you in some way. You turn around 180 degrees and you go in a completely different direction. That's what salvation really is. You're going one way, you turn around, you go the other. Problem is some people go this way, then they turn 180 degrees, but then within a few months, weeks, or years, they turn back and they're going 360 back in the same direction they started. That's not repentance. <clears throat> what repentance is not, it's not simply an admission of sin. 
People can easily say, sorry, Lord, I sinned, and then, but there's no intention to change. Asking forgiveness is easy. There should be fruit of repentance. Number two, it's not just a conviction of sin. Covered that last week. You can feel convicted, but no change. It's more than worldly sorrow. A lot of people feel sorry for the consequences of their sin. I felt sorry for that too, but no intention to change. That's not repentance. It's not just a decision to do better tomorrow. New Year's resolution, turn a new leaf. It's not becoming religious. I'll go to an extra church service, pray more, read my Bible, tithe it. No, no, that's not, it's not, that's not enough for repentance. It's not just an acknowledgement of God and truth. Um, I know people living ungodly lives with no plan to change, and yet they say, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Jesus is important to me. I even go to church. But they're living lives that are completely contrary to this scripture, friends. That's not repentance. I wonder if it's even salvation. Sorry about that. Couldn't help it. Just slipped out. Let me give you five aspects of repentance. Are you with me this morning? Don't go quiet on me. All right? I get nervous. If you go quiet, I usually shout louder and preach longer. So stay alive and we'll finish quickly. Number one, we continue to repent until we are like Jesus, or as close as we can get as possible. So repentance is not a one-off action. Well, I repented when I got saved 25 years ago. No, that's not enough. We, all through life, we keep repenting unless you are like Jesus, and let me assure you, you are not. All right. So these areas of lives that God's going to keep showing us that aren't pleasing to Him. So when we're saved, yeah, we're made 100% righteous. You know, we are the righteousness of Christ. But then it's got to be outworked. So not only are you righteous inside, you actually look righteous on the outside. How many people appreciate the others who look righteous, who act righteous as well? Not just say, I'm righteous through the blood of Jesus. You know, we grow in godliness. This is not an issue of salvation. This is growing in the fruit of the Spirit. I was in the 24-7 room a while back, and I'm praying away there, minding my own business. Suddenly God reveals an aspect of my heart, and He says, Doug, I don't like what I see. And when He showed me, I thought, I don't like what I see either. And I found myself repenting. And getting it sorted out with God and being changed from glory to glory. More into the image and likeness of Jesus. How many of you are being changed more into the image of Jesus? Give me a wave. How come you're not waving some of your hands? All right. We need to be keep on being changed. In fact, one of the goals, I believe, of every trial you face is God just wants to make you a little bit more like Jesus. We tend to focus on the trial and say, oh, get rid of that trial. You know, all our focus is there. God says, take your focus off the trial. Get it on your heart. What's God trying to do? What's He trying to work into your life? Long-suffering? Patience? Self-control? What, meekness? What is it? Goodness? Kindness? Love? Something? Ask the person next to you, what God, what's God trying to work in your life? Yeah. It's gone very quiet. No one likes asking that question. When it got to the shoes, everyone was shouting. Number two, we're going to go to Revelation. You better fasten your seatbelts, all right, church? I'm just warning you. You okay? You got them? Just tighten it up a little bit more because there's a bit of turbulence coming right now. Revelation two, because a loss of first love and passion for God needs to be repented of. Thank you for that minor amen I heard somewhere. For nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Was there ever a day that you were more passionate for God than you are today? Ever? Was there ever? Then there's a loss of first love. Verse 4, uh, verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Isn't the Bible blunt? Then repent 
and do the first works or else. You don't like this preaching, eh? This is straight from, this is the words, this is red letter. This is Jesus. Get angry with Jesus, not me. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know, that was written to the, uh, the Ephesian church. Do you know that that literally happened? No longer exists. God removed the candlestick. It was destroyed. They really did not repent and get things sorted out. God wants a passionate people. God wants people who are passionate, who have a passion for the word. You don't have a passion for prayer. You have a passion for church. People with a passion for worship. People with a passion with praise. People for a passion to reach lost people. People with a passion for Jesus himself. God wants a passionate people. Someone's trying to get excited, I can tell. Passion for giving. Not, oh, no, it's the offering again. Oh, praise God, it's the offering. <laughs> My chance to give, passion. It's lost in some places, isn't it? Passion. That's God's goal. Jesus said in John 2, 17, zeal for your house has eaten me up. What about you? Huh? Are you eaten up with passion for the work of God? just eats you. Night and day, you think, God, your house, your kingdom, your work, it's got to grow. These kids got to be reached. God wants all of us with a passion, wants all of us running with fire. Are we doing all right? (laughs) I'll try. So God wants us to repent of all worldly pursuits and to serve him. You know, some Christians envy the prosperity of the wicked. Look at your neighbor, see their house, their car, or someone else, some other area of the city. And, you know, you can envy the you know, million-dollar homes. Well, they're all million-dollar homes now, but <laughs> say $2 million homes. <laughs> you used to envy the home you've got now. <laughs> but, you know, you envy it. But when repentance comes... That changes because you begin to realize that all that stuff's just going to burn up and fade away. In fact, Psalm 49, 16 and 17 says, Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. Nothing. Everyone say nothing. Nothing. You can't take nothing with you, folks. (laughs) It says, his glory shall not descend after him. You see, repentance brings more of heaven into our hearts. The more of heaven you have in your heart, the less of the earth you want. It's a good indicator where you're at. Number three, the spirit of the fear of the Lord brings conviction, repentance, and revival. Let's go to Acts chapter 5, because I think we see something of the spirit of the fear of the Lord here. This is, of course, after Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead for lying. To the Holy Spirit. They lied and God didn't put up with it. So verse 11, not surprising. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. You know, this anointing of the fear of the Lord can bring conviction on an individual, on a church, on a city, even on a nation. It's happened in times of revival. 
And people get convicted of their sins. People who never known God, never been anywhere near church, out in the roads, suddenly get convicted of their sin and repent and ask forgiveness. It's a spirit of the fear of the Lord. I say, God, do it again. And wouldn't you like God to do that? Wouldn't that be an amazing, amazing? Well, it's going to happen, so watch out. Individuals have been clothed with this anointing. So Charles Finney would come into town on the train, and he's on the train, people in the street start falling over in the conviction of sin. He just, he'd walk into factories and people would be on their knees, you know, pleading to God and confessing sins and repenting and getting saved. The spirit of the fear of the Lord would come wherever he went. And Brian Bailey prophesied in 1970 and 71, somewhere around there, that God would move in New Zealand and one million people would be saved. That's 25% of our population. He said people would be on their faces in the streets uh, uh, under the conviction of sin. Uh, They'd be kneeling. They'd be be saved. They'd be in the car park all over the place. He said whole towns will be saved. I want to suggest Kaitaia will be one of those towns. I want to suggest Waitakere City will be one of those cities. The whole region is going to come under the blanket of the presence of God. And when that happens, friends, there will be the fear of the Lord, but there will be mass repentance. Imagine out in the car park as you leave this afternoon, people on their faces before God crying out for salvation, crying out for God's mercy. You go down into the mall and the shopkeeper, there's no one there to serve you. Just look behind the counter. She or he's on their knees crying out to God and you've turned up just that time and they say to you, what must I do to be saved? And you lead them to Jesus Christ. That's far better than shopping, isn't it? Seeing people come to a knowledge of God. But the thing that you'll see is repentance. Repentance results in refreshing and a closer walk with God. Repentance is a fantastic thing. It is incredible. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore, be converted, your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you know repentance and refreshing go together? Here's another verse for you, Proverbs 1.23. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Do you like that? If you had responded to my rebuke, See, when God rebukes you, we think, oh, no, God's rebuking me. You you want to say, oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus, because what happens then is God will pour out his heart to you and he'll make his thoughts known. In other words, he'll bring you into a relationship with himself like you've never known before. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I've had this experience. I remember a time when God convicted me of an area. It was, uh, was, you know, he really got a hold of me. And I, I remember re- repenting over the next few weeks. And initially I felt, oh, God, I wish I hadn't done this. And God, Lord, sorry. Then in the midst of it, God just begins to pour himself into me. And I'm thinking, whoo. And he begins to make his thoughts. Not, oh, can we go backtrack one there, guys? Is that possible? <clears throat> Obviously not. Okay. God just began to pour his heart into me and his thoughts into me. And I remember at the end of that experience thinking, God, is there something else I can repent of? (laughs) It's a wonderful thing, friends. See, repentance is to bring you closer to God. You know, the devil will want you to think that repentance is a negative, horrible thing that, you know, just makes you feel bad and condemned. Not at all. It's the best thing. You know, the fact that you repented is the best thing you ever did because if you had not repented of your sins, you would not be saved today. Is that right? How many people are glad they repented? I mean, isn't that a, it's just, it's the gateway to God. 
It's the gateway to God. That's what we're talking about. You don't hear much about repentance in the church today. It's probably because the devil doesn't want us getting any closer to God. But repentance is opening your heart to Jesus. It's opening yourself up to the Spirit of God to go in deeper into your life and give you a more wonderful walk with Him. Okay. How God brings us to repentance from disobedience. Now, this is not for you. This is for the person next to you, okay? So if we wander into disobedience, God in His great love for us is going to do everything He can to bring us back to repentance because He wants to bless us. And He knows that repentance is a pathway and a doorway to it. So the first step is this, conviction. So God, like He did with me, He convicted my heart. And uh, that He just shows us that something that we're doing or saying is just not pleasing to Him, Okay. So it's conviction. Maybe that what we said was not really that honest or the tax return was 90% correct, you know, or that it really was a lie or you, what, it could be maybe a specific sin, all right? God convicts you. Seriously, I, I reckon this happens all the time. I, my guess is it happens most days. Unless you're Jesus, which you're not. I just have to remind you of that time to time. I'm not Jesus either. See, the problem with conviction is if we don't respond, it slowly fades. 1 Timothy 4.2, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Conscience seared. So no longer feel conviction. So some people can go through the whole day and just feel they've Perfect heart, perfect attitude, perfect everything, which we know is not right. There's stuff in our hearts each day. It's not that God condemns us at all. It's just that we're not quite like Jesus yet. If we, know, if we stop responding to conviction, it sort of wears away. Let me give you an example of how this can work. <clears throat> a few years ago, I just heard of a person watching a particular movie, which I'd heard about. And in this movie was a fairly brief scene of a woman topless. And so I got talking to this guy about it, knew him well, and I said, um, didn't that have this, this scene in it? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, he said it wasn't too bad. Probably quite liked it, actually, anyway. <laughs> wasn't too bad, he said. So I said to him, I said, can you backtrack? I knew this guy, well, can you backtrack five years? I said, would you have watched that five years ago? And he said, Thought about it. Oh no. Oh no. Conscience said. So people watch that, then they watch something a little bit worse, a little bit worse. Before they before you know it, they're watching horrific, ungodly scenes. And there's no conviction anymore. Because a conscience has been seared. See how dangerous this stuff is? You've got to catch it. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. See, Satan's not going to hit you with something blatant, front, straight up, because you'll turn it off. See, just, just a little bit here. Just a little bit more, more. Before you know it, people are watching pornography without conviction. 
And part of the excuse is, well, everyone else does it. Well, everyone else doesn't do it. It's a downward spiral. So if conviction doesn't work, the second thing God will do is he'll send a prophetic messenger. It's a bit like God sent Samuel to David. He sent Samuel to Saul to bring conviction. And that may not be a prophet that God sends to you. He may send you a friend, trusted counselor, a parent, a leader, a boss, a child, anyone. <laughs> He'll send someone. He might say something to you. It's a challenge. It's a prophetic messenger. You want to listen to the prophetic messenger. And that's where it becomes a real problem for us New Zealanders because we're very independent. You don't tell me what to do, thank you very much. You know, I only listen to God. Well, no, no, you didn't listen to God. That's why he sent someone else. Because <laughs> God speaks through people. Here's a question. Who have you got speaking into your life? Anyone? If there's no one, it's my opinion, it's dangerous. It's really quiet in this place. I feel like I, have to, feel like I need to start whispering now. All right, just fasten that seatbelt just a little bit tighter, okay? Because number three is God will use circumstances to get our attention. I didn't say he sent the circumstances. He said he'll use them. See, disobedience opens the door. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.27 opens the door to the enemy. And our protection is gone. Give no place to the devil. I'm not saying if you're afflicted, you're in disobedience, all right? But Revelation 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. What, what all this is about, friends, is that the Father God, He just wants the very, very best for you. He just loves you so intensely. And He knows that while we live our lives in sin or disobedience or rebellion, that we are going to be miserable. How many of you ever come across a backslider who said, man, I'm just so happy? They're, they're always miserable. They're always, always miserable. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So God knows it's hard. So he says, I don't want you to live a miserable life. I want to bless you. And he'll do everything in his love to bring you back to himself. He is the hound of heaven. He cannot let you go. He loves you too much. And you may know people away from God. I'm telling you now, God will not let them go. He'll chase them to the end of days to bring them back to Himself, to bring them back into a relationship with Him, to bring them back into a place of blessing, joy, peace, and happiness. That is the goal of God for your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to do you good. He wants joy to flood your life. So sometimes He'll use circumstances to work in your life. Is there an area you need to repent of as the musicians come? Do it today and watch God pour His blessing upon you. Repentance is an essential foundation in our lives that will help us stand strong in the midst of the severest of trials. And we will, we will not crumble, we will not collapse, we will not fall. It is a vital part of building our faith according to God's prescribed code. This is the code in the Word of God. I trust, as I wrap it up and head off to the city, that you have seen that repentance is a wonderful, wonderful word. It's a wonderful thing. It got you to God in the first place. It will get you closer and closer and closer to God. It's the pathway to greater blessing. It's the pathway 
to a deeper personal relationship with God. And that, my friends, is the greatest of all. Getting closer to Jesus. Amen? Hey, thanks so much for coming. Thanks, Todd. We won't hear you in the next service probably, but thanks for coming. And hey, if you can come for your kids' sake tonight, maybe you never come on a night. Get your grandkids, even if you just drop them off and pick them up afterwards or something, I don't know. Let, 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 let us get our hands on them. Because they've got great futures. And we've got to do everything we can, everything to give them the best possible chance. My grandkids will be here, probably near the front of the queue, and I'll make sure they get prayed for. It means a lot to me, really does. Hey, God bless you. Love you all. Thank you for coming so much. Hopefully we'll see you again tonight. Take care. What are we singing? You all right? Okay.